uh, you will find the book of James. I'll tell you what, I've been looking forward to this weekend for some time. This is such an exciting time of the year. I mean, this is everybody is getting ready for the upcoming season. Like we have students uh, from the very youngest all the way going through college, even working on their doctorate. They're getting geared up for their classes. They're looking for their pencils, their calculators. We got professors trying to find their books, making sure everything's in place. Things are getting rolling at a high gear starting tomorrow. Uh, not only got a lot of academic things going on, but uh, in Texas, there's this um, somewhat obscure and I'll just raise it to your attention, but it's called football. Uh, you may have heard of it. Uh, some of the smaller communities, it's a bigger deal. But uh, there's teams getting ready. Uh, there are folks that are preparing. They've been working hard in the summer heat. There's marching bands that are getting all fired up. I mean, this is really an exciting time because it's a season of preparation and looking forward to great anticipation of what this year holds. And we prepare because we know that a failure to prepare generally leads to what? Failure. And we know that in pretty much every arena. We know that in business, athletics, music, I mean, camping. If you don't prepare and then you're going to show up for a week's camping trip with the family, you're, you're in for a surprise, right? Life is going to be difficult. We know it whether you're fixing your car, financial planning. In every arena, if you're going to do well, you must be prepared. That is especially true in the spiritual aspect of our life. And when it comes to spiritual development, if you're not prepared, especially what we're going to be talking about today, you're going to find that you're going to lack the adequate ability to truly do well. And we are coming to the book of James, and we just dove into it last week, and we are going to hit one of the most significant questions in all of life, and that is, What is the purpose of our trials? Why do we go through them? What is God accomplishing through them? And how can we truly live when we're going through such great difficulty in our life? And now I want you to know that for me, this subject is deeply personal. I am I want to tell you that I am learning about the significance of the words that are written in the beginning part of the book of James. I am learning, but I have in no way arrived to a mastery level of understanding trials and going through them well. I am like a fellow traveler, but I can, I can tell you that in my life, my life seasons of greatest difficulties have been when I have failed to understand and apply the words that are written in the book of James, especially this introduction. I can tell you it's, it's been difficult at times. Because for whatever reason, uh, I, I seem to get a lot of things well, but this was this is just one area that I feel like I've I've got to learn time and time again. For some reason, it strikes me at the very core of my being. But I know, for having been a pastor for quite a few years now, that I'm not alone. Every single one of us deals with and struggles with trials, difficulties, these testings of our faith. And we, we want to know why in the world do we go through these things? I mean, Jesus Christ, Lord of the universe, the conqueror of the grave. And yet his people go through such difficulties, turmoil. Life is flips upside down. Things happen to us that we simply have no idea why they're happening to us. And, and we deal with these problems and these difficulties. And we want to know why. And we want to know how can we go through them. James is a great 
spiritual leader. Like we talked about last week, he is a leader. He is part of the, kind of the lead pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And he is deeply concerned with the spiritual development and growth of his people and Christians throughout the world. That is true of all spiritual leaders. They're not concerned about making themselves look good. They are completely concerned with the development of people in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And he thinks the very first and foremost issue that you need to address is this issue of trials. James writes this book, and the two-word theme for the book of James is maturity matters. And in chapter 1, he's going to talk about the mindset of the person who is truly maturing in Christ. And that begins with understanding that maturity comes from growing through trials. And so he just dives right in. After making the introduction, verse 1, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are deserted abroad, greetings. He's writing to all these Jewish Christians that have been scattered throughout the empire due to persecution. They are facing hardship. They are asking these questions. Why are we facing persecution? Why is life difficult? Not only are we despised by the Gentiles because we have a Jewish heritage, but we're despised by Jews because we're now Christians. How in the world can we survive? He dives right in and he says, verse two, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. That first word consider is very important. It has the idea of to look forward. It is to to lead to lead oneself to think forward, to lead your thinking in a direction that may be foreign to your natural inclination. He says, consider it all Joy when you encounter various trials. Very important. You see the word when? Notice it is not if. You are going to encounter trials. Every single person encounters difficulties, struggles. It is not if you're going to encounter trials. It is when. If you think that the Christian life is just, whoa, the blessings of salvation and knowing that I'm forgiven. And then it is going to be just one blessing after another, and it just it culminates with the coming to heaven. I mean, it is just glory from here on out. Why, well, you need to know that you're going to be in for a rather rude awakening. Life is filled with trials, even for the believer. And if you don't know what is the purpose of these trials, this is going to throw you for a significant loop. You're going to wonder, what is going on? Now, what, what is a trial? A trial, it, it connotes trouble. It's, it's any break of pattern of peace, of comfort, of joy, of happiness in one's life. When these things happen, small or significant, whether they be physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, Any break, anything that comes into our life, any event, circumstance, difficulty, these are trials. And and they come in every shape, size, and form. It can come in the way of affliction, sorrow, failure, disease, weights of responsibility, challenges to leadership, difficulties, opposition by Satan, the call to compassion. It is so great. Perhaps you're in a situation where... The resource that what you need to do seems to be on your resources to provide. Maybe you've lost a job. Gone through divorce, going through relationship struggles. Maybe you've got severe financial problems, relational breakdown. All of these are trials, illness, death of a family member, relational problems, tough decisions, 
Just by even mentioning these, it surfaces in our mind. These are trials that they come into our life. And far from this modern notion that if you're a Christian, you're just going to be you're going to miss trials or have any difficulties in life. James says you need to expect them. It's not if it's not like it's not like trials are like a one time deal. Like, oh, yeah, I remember my trial it was back in third grade. Mrs. Harmon and that spelling test. You know, she put dessert and desert on the same test. You know, and it was, I was up and I could never get it straight. But, you know, I, I made it through that trial and I'm glad that I got that all taken care of. It's not that way at all. We have trials, it seems like, at times on a daily, if not even an hourly basis. And some of our trials aren't so short, like a little spelling test. Some of our trials last for months, even years. And so what are we to do? And and you come to this text and, you know, this is an often quoted first verse. Consider all joy when you encounter various trials, right? And yet, let's talk about it. Are trials in themselves joyful? Uh, Let's let's be realistic. Is is James is James calling us to have like a just a grin and bear it kind of approach to life or, you know, just act tough like nothing bothers you when you go through trials? Is, Is that what he's calling for? No, not at all. Nor is this some sort of like masochistic tendency that it's pain, pain, I love and joy, pain, and I smile through it. It's not that. It's not that. And, and I'm addressing this because a lot of Christians kind of throw that out like, hey, you got a trial. And, I, and you feel like I've got to smile, at least around these Christians, because I have to consider it all joy. It's not like I lost my job or my mom's in hospital. That's just great. And it's just joy. It's not, friends, Christianity is not phony. It's not putting on some sort of guise or ruse, like putting on some sort of happy face when we go through difficulties or trials. Trials are painful. Why do you think Paul writes in Romans, weep with those who weep? Trials hit us at the core of our being sometimes. We have breakdown. And it's not just even physical. Sometimes it's emotional. Even spiritually, we're wondering, what is going on? And there's real tears and real hurt and real sobbing. He's not calling for you to put some sort of like little mask on that you're just happy all the time. This isn't Christianity isn't fairy tale fantasy. It's absolutely real. And we need to understand why is it that we can consider it joy? He says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, because it's not that the immediate unpleasantness creates a smile on your face because often it doesn't it's hard it's difficult but we find joy in what god is accomplishing through the trials you've got to stay with me on this we find joy not because the trial is happy and makes us feel wonderful because it generally doesn't we consider it joy because we know that god is accomplishing a work in us that apart from these trials cannot be achieved. He says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Christian, you and I, we know this. God is accomplishing something in these difficulties. The testing of our faith, this word testing, it would be used like to, used on coins to find out, is the coin real 
and genuine or is it a fake? And that is what trials do. They show our faith in the living God to be real. They strengthen us. They, they show that through the purging and the refining that indeed we have a, a real, authentic faith. And so when we come to these testings of our faith, what happens with trials is this. When they hit us, they help us to discern and discover, do we really have a saving, sustaining, secure faith in Christ? Do we keep believing? Are we still trusting? Do we love him? Are we trusting in his goodness? That's what trials do. They help us see the reality of our faith. In fact, he says they produce. That word produce is used uh, in agriculture. It's like you plant these seeds and eventually comes the harvest. The harvest that comes from trials is endurance. Now, endurance is not just this like I've just resigned myself that I've got to go through this. And I'll just take a beating through life and then I'll hopefully things will get better for me when I die. But rather, it is an active, trusting, sustaining faith in God. You know, one of the things when Christians faced persecution in the early centuries, the heathen that killed them and oftentimes in brutal fashion, the thing that they were so startled about is that they didn't die grimly, but they died singing. How is that? Because they had the strength that comes from their relationship with Christ and he sustains them and he strengthens them. He gives them endurance. And frankly, when you and I go through trials, they hit us, we're waylaid, we're off to the side of the road. But we pick up ourselves and we fix our eyes back upon Jesus and we see that we have real, genuine, authentic faith. That's what James is saying. Trials produce endurance so you know like for instance when i'm talking with people that are going through trials which is pretty regularly you know what i'm looking for i'm looking to see do they still have that sustaining strengthening faith in christ or is it wavering how can i perhaps be a tool in god's hand to encourage their faith in christ so that endurance will continue to be produced in their life it is going through the difficulties Trusting God, you know, like on our prayer chain or, you know, you have friends and they they have an injury or there is an illness. And yes, it is good to pray for healing for their physical illness. But, you know, one of the most important things that we need to be praying for is the strengthening of their soul, the renewing of their faith in Jesus Christ, that they not lose sight of him, that they continue to draw from his strength and from his resources And trials have a purpose. Not only do they produce endurance, but notice verse 4. This is why we can consider it joy. Verse 4, and he says, And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Do you know why we can consider it joy when you go through trials? Because trials, when endured in the strength of Christ, produce maturity. And he uses three words to describe it. The first thing he says, it produces uh, a result that is perfect. Greek word teleos. It means uh, absolutely complete, mature, adult-like compared to being a child. It is used of, of someone who is fully developed. Trials and us trusting Christ in the midst of them, you know what it results in? It results in us becoming 
complete, perfect, mature. And the next word he uses is complete, meaning that we've got all the parts necessary for a full life. We're gaining victory over old sins. We have a confidence and a confidence that comes in Christ. And then notice what he also says, that we are not lacking in anything. There's nothing missing in our life. You see, God allows trials in our life to strengthen and mature our faith in Christ. Think about it. The difficulties that you and I are going through, and I'm, I can just tell you right now, I'm going through some. This is hitting me right where I live. You know what the, what the, what's going on? God is maturing and strengthening me in the midst. He is making me a complete man. You and I, complete people in his son. We're true positionally. He wants us to realize it practically in our life that there is a stability and a maturity in our life. It is the reality of the gospel being lived out in our life that we are maturing as we go through trials. Now, what are, what are some distinctives of maturity? What does that actually look like? Let me give you some. There's going to be a dependence upon and a delight in God. When we're maturing, mature people dependent. They keep going back to the Lord and they delight in knowing him. There's also a, a depth of understanding and application of his word. You know what we call that, by the way? Wisdom. Mature people are wise people. They have a depth of understanding of God's word. Let me tell you something else that you find with people who are complete. There's discernment between good and evil from right and wrong. People who are mature, when they're faced with the moral decisions of life, they say, you know, that looks tempting, but I know that this is what I should do. And by in the strength of God, they go forward. When you're immature, you operate on what? The impulses of your body. You follow the, just the desires of your flesh. And, he, and James is going to address that in these upcoming passage. But mature people have the ability to discern good and evil. They also have this. There is the development of a loving heart and enduring faith. When you are maturing, you find that you have a greater capacity to love people. And you actually find that you have an enduring faith. Let me give you one other. People who are mature in Christ, you find that they have a dedication to serve and to build up the body of Christ. They are consumed with Christ. They want to see him glorified on the earth. And they are willing to give it their time, their finances, resources, gifts to see Christ glorified and his people, the bride of Christ, built up. It's kind of like this with trials. I don't want to bring up a bad subject for anybody, but any of you tried this weightlifting thing? You know, OK, you're just, you're like go to the Y or you go to these health clubs. and They got all these weights there. And you're like, what is that for? You know, let me tell you. All right. Which of these you see, you pick these things up and yeah, they're heavy. And there's a reason why these guys are bulging with veins and they're sweating profusely, okay? And it looks like, are you just about ready to have a cardiac arrest? No, I'm working out. I'm having a great time. You see, what they're doing is they are strengthening their muscles. And in order to strengthen a muscle, you know, it first has to be broken down. And so they're, they're lifting these weights. They're breaking down muscles. But in return, those muscles are actually built up and they're made stronger. I've tried weightlifting every once in a while it's no fun in the very midst of the activity you know what i'm saying when you're at nine you're trying to get to 12 and your body is just burning and yet the long-term results are great 
and it's actually worth the short-term pain. Now, I'm not saying, I want you all signed up for the health club and I want you lifting weights. It is a good idea. But what I am telling you is that is what trials do. They break us down to build us up even stronger in Christ. And so you need to know this. The journey to maturity comes through growing through trials. Do you want maturity? Every Christian says, yes, I want fullness of maturity in Christ. I want to realize the full resources I have in him. God's plan is to take you through the school of testing. Now, that is why we have trials in our life. God is seeking to bring about maturity in our life. Well, how in the world do we go through them? Okay, you need to know why. James says, first thing, you need to know why you're going through these troubles and these problems and this persecution, all these difficulties financially and all everywhere, every which way else. It's because God is seeking to bring about maturity in your life. How in the world do you go through them? How? Knowing why is super important. Knowing how is critical. And that's what he addresses in verses 5 through 12. He says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, he's kind of playing off verse 4. He says, you, will be without, you won't lack anything. You will lack nothing, verse 4, as you mature and go through these trials. But you're saying, you know what? Okay, I've got trials and I'm not going through them all that great. Do you lack something? Verse 5, but if any of you lacks wisdom... I am in that camp. Are you anybody else there? Any of you lack wisdom? He says, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. He says, if you lack wisdom, the skill and the insight for living well in your situation, that's what wisdom is. The insight, the ability that God gives so that we can live well in life. Do you lack it? Well, Are you just walking around and you're depressed all the time and you're kicking the dog and you're mad and you're mean? And 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 if you feel like you're not sure, ask your neighbor or your spouse or your best friend or something. They'll help you. Yeah, you could use a little help in this area. If you lack wisdom, he says, why do you not go to God? He shows us who God is. God is God is generous. I mean, he says, let him ask God. He gives to all people generously he will give you the insight the wisdom he provides it in his word he gives it to us through his spirit he brings fellow believers in our life he can encourage us with a radio program i mean there's all these different ways in which god encourages his people he gives to all people generously and without reproach i want you to see this because some people feel like god must just be barely tolerating me Because I can barely handle myself, right? Because you you kind of think like, God must, every time he thinks of me, he must think like, what a sorry excuse for a believer. Look at him. Look at her. And and you're just like, that is not how God sees you at all. God loves you immensely. He is an absolute perfect father. Your real father, your earthly father, he was... uh, Maybe maybe close to perfect? Probably not. Your Heavenly Father, He absolutely is. He loves you unconditionally. Even when we mess up, even when we fall, even when we don't get it through the trials, even when we're not going through them very well, He loves us unconditionally. He gives to all people generously and without reproach. There's, there's no invective. He doesn't want to harm you. He loves you. And He will give us what we need. But notice what he says. If you ask 
it will be given to you. Ask God, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? How can I go through this? Lord, give me the strength to go through even another hour or another day with this situation. Give me insight into what you're doing. Give me greater faith in how you're working and just to trust you in the midst of this. And he will give it to you guaranteed. Guaranteed in God's word. You can write that verse out and you can put it as a promise. But there's one caveat to that. You must believe. You must believe. In fact, he says it in verse 6. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. When you ask God, you can't be like, well, okay, I'll try this. Like you tried some sort of palm reader last week, last week, and you tried this little game over here, and you read this little book and thought, well, I'll try this. No, God is not like one of many options. God is the solution. He is the sole source of strength and of life. And when you lack wisdom, you come to God and you ask without doubt. This isn't like like momentary doubt and like trying to process and think like, well, how could that possibly work? It's, this is just coming with the idea that you live double, like a double-minded life. Yeah, you believe in God when it's convenient, but in the rest of the time, you're pretty much trusting yourself and your own resources. He says, no, you must ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts, he says, if you want a picture of the person who is kind of double-souled, two-minded, he says he's like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And what he's doing is he's referencing likely the Sea of Galilee. And it's a small little sea, but it's, and it's got surrounded by these mountains. And these winds just come whipping down on the Sea of Galilee, kind of up in the north part of Israel. And they very regularly just cause that sea to be tumultuous. And it's got water just going everywhere. That's what it's like when we really don't have a firm confidence and we just doubt God. We ask, like, okay, well, God, I think I'll ask you about this. Will you help me? But then one minute later, like, oh, God can't do that. And we're just, oh, hit the panic button, you know, in despair. No. Don't be that way. He says, ask in faith without any doubting. He says, verse 7, for the man, uh, for that man, the guy who's just doubting, really, I don't really think God could do anything to help me. Guess what? He says, for that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord because he is what? He is double-minded. He is unstable in all his ways. Let me tell you the greatest enemy to answered prayer. You know what it is? It's unbelief. It's unbelief. God is desiring that we trust him completely, that we have an absolute confidence in him. It comes by producing trials that lead to endurance, which leads to maturity. He wants us trusting him completely. Remember uh, a guy by the name of Peter? This was an amazing scene. They were actually on the Sea of Galilee one time. They were in a boat. He and the disciples of Jesus. Jesus wasn't with them. They're just getting flipped around in this boat. And these guys are fishermen. They actually think they're going to perish at one point. And then they see Jesus. And he's, he's walking on the water. Wait, what's, that doesn't happen. How, how could, how, no one walks on water unless you're God, right? And like, it's a ghost. No, it's Jesus. And then, then Peter makes a statement. He says, hey, Lord, if it's you, command me to get out of this boat and to walk to you. Call me out to me. Come. And so Jesus has come. 
And Peter got out of the boat, and you know what? He was starting. He was walking on the water, and he's fixing his eyes on Jesus. And what seems to be impossible, and we know it to be impossible apart from the supernatural work of God, actually happened. He walked on water. He's fixing his eyes on Jesus. He's believing and obeying his word when he said, come. He's walking. And then he's like, what in the world am I doing? He sees the storm. He's like, wait, I'm out of boat. This never happens. He sees the waves, everything crashing. He takes his eyes off Jesus. He puts it onto his circumstances like, no, no one walks on water. And he goes under and he yells out, Lord, save me. And Jesus snatches him, picks him up. And you can just see the eyes of love. And he said, you have little faith. Why did you doubt Why did you doubt me? Did I not just show you by the fact that I can walk on this water that nothing is too difficult for me? Nothing is impossible for me. Why did you doubt? Trust me. I'm with you. Why did you doubt? Why is your faith so small? You see, when Peter looked at his circumstances, he sunk. He kept his eyes on Jesus. He walked by faith. He walked through the trial. Same for us. Me? When I get my eyes on my circumstances and these difficulty and this problem and uh, these people aren't getting along and, and this challenge and I don't know how we can possibly face this. You know what happens? I start sinking. But when I once again fix my eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith, He pulls me up out of the water. And yeah, I'm wet. I'm a little dirty. A little embarrassed. I should know better. But he gives me strength. And friends, when we come to God, ask him for wisdom and do so without doubting. And he will provide. God isn't going to spare you likely from the trial. It's not like, okay, I'll ask God and he's going to get me out of my trials and everything will be wonderful and perfect, great. Probably not. There are times where he just immediately just rescues people out of trials. It's like the lessons learned, out you go, right? But oftentimes it's this. He walks with you through the trials. You see him working in the midst of your difficulty. And the rest of the world wonders, why are you not just grimacing with pain? Why are you singing? It's because of the joy of knowing Jesus. Now, what do we do? What do we do? I'll tell you this. There's there's something inside each one of us. It's part of the residual flesh nature that just resists asking for help, especially going to God. I don't know what it is. But the first thing you want to do is, you know, especially if you feel spent and you're frustrated and you feel guilty or feel helpless or without hope. Is identify how you're feeling. Just say it right now. I'm discouraged. I'm depressed. I'm I'm frustrated. I'm sad. I'm grieved. You identify how you're feeling and then talk with God. Tell him about it. Pour out your heart before him. Ask God for wisdom. He'll give it to you. But just talk with him. Friends, you've got to do this. If you don't, you are not doing as James has prescribed. You must ask God for wisdom with faith. Go and talk with him and then follow his word. 
Ask, how does God's word apply to my situation? If you need help, go talk to someone who's a little more seasoned in the faith, someone who's been walking with Christ for a while. They'll help you understand or even find passages that directly apply to your situation. It may not specifically say you should take this job or not or whatever, but it gives you general precepts and principles to follow the Lord and walking by faith. And so what he does then James gives like an illustration. He offers two examples of folks going through trials. Verse nine he says, but the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. Kind of speaking of a of someone who's poor. He says, I'm not going to let you sit around and wallow like, oh, woe is me. I'm so poor. I don't have anything. He's like, no, but the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. And the rich man, people that are wealthy, i.e., I would say that's probably everyone in this room, right? You guys all are dressed. You actually look nice. Most of you took showers, right? You got, everybody got an apartment? You have a house? You get a car? You have a job? You're wealthy? You're this one, verse 10. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation because like flowering grass, he will pass away. And what he's doing, he's saying, don't get caught up in the world's way of thinking. We think that money rescues us. And if you have money, you've got security, you've got happiness, you can go through any trial. No. You go through trials holding on to Jesus. The person that's humble, the person that's got humble circumstances, he doesn't have a lot, he's poor, you know what? He can glory in his high position because he has Christ. It's kind of like you're a traveler, but you're a prince. Yet you're going through great difficulties in this life. You're exposed to cold and rain and there's difficulties and life is one difficult mountain after another. And it is a long journey. But you're going to a heavenly kingdom. There is great joy awaiting you. You're a child of the king and the strength of your life and the joy of your life. is not the difficulties of your journey. It's the joy of knowing Jesus who travels through them with you. He's the hope of your life. And for the rich guy, he says, guess what? Your riches, they're temporary. And in fact, he even says, you know, it's kind of like this. Verse 11, for the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too, the rich man in the midst of his pursuits, it'll just all fade away. And what he's doing them is he's reminding them of just the natural features of the land of Israel. And like during the months of February through May, there's the rains that come and there's flowers that come all through the hillsides and on the little prairie lands. And and like the, the grass and all these little flowers, they just kind of blossom and they look great. And everything's really cool until about late May. And then come the Sirocco winds. If you're like, what, what is that like? Just think of Waco yesterday. All right. What happens is the heat comes and, you know, you have those nice little flowers. You remember those little flowers and you were like you were looking at them and you watched them and they just burnt to a crisp in one day. What happened? Because that's what he's referencing. He's referencing that there's flowers in the hillsides of Israel. They bloom and they blossom in the rain. But in just a short period of time, when the hot winds blow and the sun blasts down, those flowers simply fade away. And so true with our riches. What are you holding on to them so tightly for? They're going to go away. You can't take them with you. But friends, where you and I are going, to the presence of the great glory of Christ himself, those things will mean nothing. Gold, silver, the 
They're nothing, like dirt, like rust, compared to the riches that we have in Christ. He's the one. And so, friends, what we need to realize is the beatitude that he closes with in verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. That word blessed is, could be translated how truly happy, how deeply happy is this person, the one who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love who loved him. He says the, the one who is truly happy, the one who truly knows the joy of life, the one who loves Christ and he perseveres through trial. He doesn't relinquish his faith. He's like, oh, man, God put me through this. And so he must not be good. I'm, I'm, I'm ceasing to believe. No, I believe all the more. He is everything to me and he's the only thing I've got. I'm not trusting in anything but him. Once he's been approved, once you've passed the test and really isn't that kind of what life is. You thought that when you got out of school, it's like no more tests. Friends, we're in school. Life is school. Life is tests. And once we've been approved, that in the difficulties, small, great, emotional, spiritual, physical, we keep praising and holding on to Jesus, even when we don't get it. We have passed the test. Once we've been approved, notice what he says, you will receive the crown of life. Speaking of a victor's crown, that's what they'd award these athletes. They'd put these wreaths on their head. They didn't do the gold medal thing. They put these wreaths. God is going to give his people, those who he knows, those who are trusting him, he gives them the crown of life to which he has promised to those who love him. Now, I don't want you to miss that. I've underlined this in my Bible, to those who love him. We would think that it'd be like to those who trust him or to those who obey him. The secret, friends, this is what you cannot miss. The secret of going through trials and to do so with joy is to love Christ in the midst of them. Love is the motivator behind all of these things. You see, God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God, moved by love, sends a Savior, pays for our sins. That's why he dies on a cross. And it is through his love that he draws us to himself. And we are truly worshipers of him. When we love Christ, a Christian is one who loves Christ. And let me tell you this. If you have little love for Christ, he's just a little intellectual concept. You kick around and you make yourself look good in theological circles, but you really don't love him. There's no passion for him. No worship. You just mumble through a song. You never pray. You're rarely thankful. Little love for Christ leads to little maturity in life. And the converse is true. A great love for Christ leads to great maturity because when we love Christ, we go through trials with joy, the joy of knowing and loving Jesus. God uses trials to transform us. Remember Joseph? Remember we looked at him all summer? He went through what? Trials. God built him into a man of God. How do you do that? Through rejection, being a slave, being wrongly accused of rape, sitting in prison for some of the best years of his life, like 10, all of his 20s. And God made him a man of God. Did so with Abraham, Moses, 80 years. 
trial. How would you like to herd sheep in a desert? Imagine that. Your job is keep them alive. There's one problem. There's no grass and no water. <laughs> and, you're, and you're working for your father-in-law. Huh? Imagine that. You know what that's called? That's called a trial. Why? Whoa, that's a huge trial. Don't die on me. You know, he's like picking up these sheep, giving them a little water bottle. You know, just... But you know what? Those trials prepared him to be a man of God who had one day faced Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And he would lead them through a desert. The desert he became so familiar with because he became God's man and God made him, transformed him through the trials of life and he is doing so with us as well. And so what we do, instead of fighting and resisting like clay in the hand of the master, we yield ourselves to him. Lord, teach me, make me, mold me, shape me in your hands. You see, God is with us and he is for us. And he intends to make us mature and he does so through trials. Now, what if you're like me and you failed quite a bit along the way? Game over? No. He is generous and he is gracious. In fact, if we confess our sins, you know, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All the times we've lacked faith, we've not responded correctly, Let's just tell the Lord about it and confess it, which means agree with him. It cleanses us. We are complete in Christ. You know what he wants us to do? He wants us to draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. Remember a guy by the name of Paul? He had this uh, thorn in his flesh. And I don't think it was a like, oh, these little Texas-sized thistles in my flesh. No, it wasn't one of those. In fact, he refers to it as a messenger of Satan, an angelos. Uh, it's used 188 times in the Greek. Uh, it always refers to a divine or a human messenger. It likely was a person. And he asked three times, God, life would be wonderful if you would remove this person. You ever prayed a prayer like that? Oh, you have. Ooh, well, so did Paul. And uh, he didn't do it once, didn't do it twice, he did it three times. He asked the Lord, I mean, think of it, I mean, he's been in prison, he was beat up, he was left for dead. I mean, all the things, the one thing he asked the Lord three times, remove this guy, or this gal, whoever it was, this messenger of Satan. And you know what his response was that he got from the Lord? The Lord said to him, 2 Corinthians twelve nine, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And he said, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in us. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected. Teleos. It makes me complete. The weaknesses, the hardships, the difficulties in our life, they make us mature and they give an opportunity for the power of Christ to be made known in your difficult job, your difficult relationship, your heartache, your child that's gone wayward. The power of Christ is manifest in our life because we believe. There was a hymn writer by the name of Fanny Crosby. She was blind from a very early age. I want, you, I want to read some lines she wrote as a girl of eight. And she said, Oh, what a happy soul am I, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world, contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't, to weep and sigh because I'm blind. I cannot, and I won't. 
No, even from a, as a young child, we can have a mature faith. Life is not a straight line of just one blessing after another leading to finally to heaven. Life is a winding, oftentimes difficult, troubled road. It's got switchbacks and difficulties. And when we read the stories of like Joseph and Esther and Ruth and Job, what they do is they grab us in our heart and help us realize that God is working through it all, especially through the difficulties. God isn't just like showing up after all these bad things have happened, like, what a mess here. I'll see if I can help you out and clean this up a little bit. You know what God's doing? God has far-reaching purposes. He is at work even in our midst for our good and for the glory of Jesus Christ. And so this is what we do, friends. We tell God, I thank you. I trust you. I love you. That is our position. And when it is, we truly will grow and mature through the trials of life. You know, life is full of trials. The presence of trials does not have to result in the absence of joy, rather the converse. We can have joy because we know that Jesus is working in the midst of them. And we can be content because our contentment is not found in our circumstances. It is found in Christ. So remember this. You and I, we do not exist so that God can make much of us. We exist so that we can make much of God that we can become mature in him. And you know how we do it? We do it through trials. And the journey to maturity in Christ comes from growing through trials. Let's pray. Lord, what an amazing passage in your word. Lord, so often we have neglected that. We perhaps listened when someone was talking about it. Something has happened where oftentimes we've missed your great purposes and the difficulties of our life. But now we see it laid out clear in your word. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue your transforming work. We ask in faith, for faith. We ask for wisdom in our circumstances. Joy in the journey that we might reflect the likeness of Jesus in every respect in our life. Father, for the person who is here who has never placed their faith in your son, who's faced trials but done so alone. But they pray with me and say, Lord, you know my sin and my self-centeredness, my waywardness. Lord, today I realize you sent the Savior to die in my place. I turn from my sin and I trust your Son and I receive the life that is in his name. For all of us, Lord, help us to not just go through life or go through it grimly, but to do so singing because of the joy of knowing Jesus in it all and through it all. And we eagerly await your son's return, where we will see you face to face and we will dwell in your glory and in your presence with great joy eternally. In Jesus' name we pray.